Well, hello everyone. Today is September 21st, 2021. My name is Byron Howell and this is the Byron Howell Ministries podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. As you probably know, we have been talking about divine healing over the past few weeks. I hope you've enjoyed the series. We've covered a lot of ground. I've said this before, but you know, in our divine healing series, we're not trying to cover everything there is to know, but everything you need to know. Uh, that's everything you need to know if, God forbid, you're uh, injured or you're afflicted by any sickness or disease, unclean spirit, what have you. Obviously, uh, if any of those things show up in the lives of a loved one or even a person you happen to encounter, that you will really know everything you need to know to see the power of God flow and bring healing into your life. We've talked about uh, the fact that healing belongs to all of God's children. We've talked about that God's will is always healing all the time for everyone in every situation. God's will is always healing. We've talked about the different ways to receive healing. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the interaction between divine healing, the power of God, the word of God and doctors. And so, uh, you know, I think we've really covered a lot of ground and today we're going to continue with our discussion on healing, and I think this is really going to be a blessing to you, and I think it's going to be fascinating as well. I know uh, I had said we were going to cover a couple of miscellaneous topics this week. We're going to push that off a week because really I feel from the Lord that you know He wants me to talk about this subject today. And what we're going to talk about today is essentially the power and authority in divine healing. Uh, that's the power over sickness and disease, the power to see healing manifest, and also authority over sickness and disease and the relationship between power and authority, how we see power and authority used in the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of the apostles, you know, in essentially God's healing ministry. And I think that, again, that's really going to bless you. Uh, you know, before we do, before we launch into that, and let me just also add that, you know, if you desire to function in God's healing ministry or the healing ministry of Jesus Christ, and by that I mean, you know, if you desire to pray for people and see them recover, lay hands on the sick and see them recover, you know, if you're a prayer minister at your church or if you like uh, to interact with people on that level to pray for people, you know, things like that then today is really going to be a very, very good and very useful study for you. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So so with that in mind, let me just share this quick testimony. And this testimony is about my daughter. It is her 11th birthday today. And I'll try to keep it short. When uh, my wife and I first decided to have children, we were committed Christians at that time. We certainly, you know, didn't know as much about divine healing as we do today. But anyway, uh, my wife got pregnant and she had a miscarriage. Now that was terrible. We don't need to go too into detail, but, but obviously that was not, not, you know, that was a terrible thing and certainly a terrible thing if that happens to anyone. And what was very difficult is that, you know, we were in a, a church and we were around people and, you know, the people we were around obviously loved us and cared for us. But certainly I felt a sense of failure. I felt a sense that it was my fault and on and on. And, you know, obviously that really added to uh, the difficulty of the miscarriage situation. But anyway, 
this was probably the first time in our lives where my wife and I decided, you know, we know that what happened wasn't God's will. We know that God didn't want that to happen. So we're going to seek the Lord like never before. We're going to get into the word. We're going to pray. We're going to study. We're going to learn and and we're going to have a child. And so that's exactly what we did. And so we we wrote out, you know, all the healing verses, all the verses about childbirth, especially. We contacted Kenneth Copeland Ministries and they recommended a book by the name of Supernatural Childbirth that's by Jackie Mize. Let me say that again. Supernatural Childbirth by Jackie Mize. If you or anyone you know is struggling uh, with fertility issues, that is the book they need to read. That is a powerful book filled with revelation in the area of fertility. Again, Supernatural Childbirth by Jackie Mize. I cannot recommend that book enough. If you do happen to read that book, no, I can't tell you that we went as far as that book uh, discusses. I bet few people do. Of course, it's possible. I think it's a, it's a brilliant revelation from God on his plan for childbirth and his promises over childbirth. But it was a major blessing to us. And that's why we've given that book out a number of times. Just a wonderful book. But so that's what we did. We we began studying. We actually kind of set up a little area of our house where we, we had our notes. We had our scriptures. We we're praying the word of God and really seeking the Lord like never before. And the Lord spoke to me in a dream that and this kind of starts, you know, the supernatural, you know, reality of my 11 year old daughter today, Eden, uh, he spoke to me essentially about how the devil had attacked us and how the devil had caused this miscarriage that obviously it wasn't his will but something you know had happened and and the devil had attacked us and and so we knew from that you know how we were supposed to pray things we were supposed to do immediately began praying in that direction and doing what the lord told us to do and i i can't get into all that but very very powerful very supernatural things that that persist to this day, 11 years later, not just the life of my daughter, but things that persist to this day that came out of those prayers in that time. But so what happened is uh, my wife got pregnant again so fast that the doctors did not think she was actually pregnant. And I don't mean to be gross or anything, but what they told her was that you, you can't be pregnant again this fast. It's actually leftover fetal tissue from the first pregnancy and that leftover fetal tissue is causing things to happen in your body that make your blood work look like you're pregnant. But sure enough, they were wrong. And in fact, my wife was pregnant again with our daughter Eden, praise the Lord. And so that was a miracle. That was wonderful. We were so happy, so excited, witnessing the power of God in manifestation. So we go along and she's pregnant. And one day I'm at work and I'm, I'm working, you know, 30 minutes away or so from where she works. And so she calls me and she says that she's bleeding. And, and as you probably know, that can be a, a sign of miscarriage. And I, I really felt that we were under a demonic attack again, that this child was also being attacked. So I knew a little bit about faith. Faith is something we've other, also covered elsewhere in our study of healing. I highly encourage you to check that out. So, so I didn't say another word. I heard what she said. So she, she was bleeding. She was on her way to the doctor. That was going to be about a 45 minute drive for me. And, and so I, I said, I'll see you there. I didn't say a word to anybody, just got in my car 
And I got in the car and I began praying the word of God exactly in the way that we described in our teaching on healing, praying, you know, specifically the verse in Isaiah, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. And I was praying the prayer of faith that great is the peace of my baby. You know, not far off in the future, but now, because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ now. So I have a child. She's alive in my wife's womb and she is great is her peace now. She's being taught how to live now. And and so I got very violent. The Bible says the Bible, excuse me, the violent take it by force. That's a real statement on the operation of faith, or at least that's part of the interpretation of that verse. Can't get into that too much. But I, I got very um, deliberate, violent in my faith. You know, great is the peace of my baby in the name of Jesus. Devil, get off my baby right now in Jesus' name. So anyway, so... You know, we get, I get to the doctor's office and sure enough, the bleeding has stopped. She did suffer some sort of tear, but whatever, it, it fixed itself. It, it stopped. The bleeding had stopped. The baby was fine. Praise God. You know, awesome, awesome. So happy as you can imagine. So, but, but we didn't stop in that moment and we were very diligent about praying the word of God over that child. And praying, you know, the I've read to you some of these verses that we've looked at, you know, uh, none will be barren or miscarry in your land. That's another promise of God. The number of your days I will fulfill. We were praying, obviously, that the number of Eden's days in the womb, God will fulfill. God would fulfill. And sure enough, he did. And so it comes to the time for her to give birth and my child was breech and you know as the baby's turned the wrong way so they're going to have to go in with a c-section we didn't really care about that i mean you know that's that's not god's best you know there's nothing wrong with c-sections not saying that at all but you know obviously kind of a regular delivery is probably god's original intention of course it's god's original intention for mankind but anyway we weren't really worried we were just happy that she'd come to full term and we would do a c-section so i'm in the doctor's office obviously in the operating room when they take eden out very nice doctor you know not probably not a christian not not really discussing things with her on that level but she was very nice and as she took eden from my wife's um womb she held her up and she, the doctor looks at me, not really knowing this faith journey, and says, it was a good thing we went in to get here, get her, because she was never coming out. And, and what she really meant from a physical standpoint was that, uh, that something had happened in the way that Eden was turned or connected with the umbilical cord. I'm not really sure, but she was tangled up in there and she was never going to come out of the womb. But I recognized it instantly that, that our prayers had, had put that child in a position that she was not coming out of that womb before we were ready to come out and that God had sealed her in her mother's womb. There's verses about that. That they, there's actually, it's a verse with, Paul is talking, he says, you know, God has set me apart by a boundary. That's kind of the Greek, what it really means. And that was one of our prayers over Eden, that God would, would protect her by a boundary in Shannon's womb. And that's exactly what happened. 
So, you know, that really, I think, you know, obviously my back was healed. That was prior to our first child. But but that was really a, just a miracle and, and an awesome manifestation of the power of God, an awesome manifestation of what it what happens when you dive deep into the word and you pray the scriptures and you pray in faith. And, you, you know, you believe God that his promises are true and they are yea, yes and amen for you and your house. And that's what happened to us. That was our baby. She's perfectly healthy. Uh, she's she's just like me. She's a chip off the old block. And today is her 11th birthday. So praise God. I thought that was an apropos uh, testimony, both for our healing discussion and today being her birthday. So praise the Lord. So today, I, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about authority and power. And and this uh, we're going to talk about a number of ideas. It's it, it may seem a little disjointed, but it's not. It may seem complicated, but it's really not. And I think not only will this interest you if you care at all about praying for the sick, either the people just in your own household or your friends, family, what have you, if you're interested in praying for them, seeing the power of God operate in their physical bodies, because that's so important to accomplishing all of God's will for our lives. But if you're interested in that, this is really going to interest you. If you're intellectually curious about these things, if you want to understand more of the biblical underpinning where where it comes into the place where I'm supposed to participate in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. You're going to get that today. This is going to be good today. We're also going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit today and how that plays an integral role in your position as a healing minister, in your position in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. So without any further ado... Uh, Let's start in Matthew 3.11. Now, this is a statement from John the Baptist that is certainly quoted, but I don't think it gets nearly enough treatment when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to start there, but then we're really going to come back to that idea. But we're looking at kind of the ministry of Jesus always, right? Because it's about the healing ministry of Jesus Christ that we participate in. So anyway, this is Matthew 3.11, and this is John the Baptist talking. He says... I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I bring that verse up for several reasons. First of all, this is before the ministry of Jesus Christ even starts. This is John the Baptist talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in fact, he's talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ that would take place after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is fascinating. He's not really talking about what Jesus is going to do during Jesus's earthly ministry. He's going to he's talking about Jesus's ministry post his earthly ministry, his divine ministry, his heavenly ministry, however you want to refer to it, but the but he's talking about what Jesus is going to do after he dies is raised from the dead and go back to heaven. And that's baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I also want to mention that John is not just talking to the 12 apostles. He's not just talking to the people that would become, you know, the larger group of apostles, you know, Stephen and Philip and Paul and the other people. We have no idea who he's talking to, but he's talking to this large random group of people out near the river that have come to be baptized 
And what he's saying here is, is the Messiah is coming and a huge part of his ministry to all of you, to everyone, to everyone that Jesus ministers to for eternity. Okay, the ministry of Jesus for everyone that comes to the ministry of Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when you look at this verse that way, I think you'd agree with me that it's an extremely important verse. Now, let's let's new uh let's now go on to Luke 6 verse 17 through 19. Well, we're talking about Jesus now. He, as in Jesus, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Okay, very, very wonderful verse, wonderful passage. But I want to notice briefly, it says all the people and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Power in the Greek is the word dynamis. It refers to force, miraculous power. It's where we get the word dynamite from. But so we see very briefly here, very quickly, the relationship between power and healing. These people came to Jesus to touch the power of God and be healed. Now let's look at Luke 4, verses 35 through 36. Luke 4, 35 through 36. This is Jesus talking to a demon. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring the man. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. So now we see a bit of a difference here. He has power, and that's the same Greek word there, dynamis. But we also see the interaction of authority, all right? And authority is the word exousia, which means privilege, authority, or, or legal jurisdiction. You see, sometimes uh, there was an authority in operation, and sometimes there was a power in operation in a healing. You see... Uh, I think the most obvious example of an authority healing is when Jesus commands the unclean spirit to go. We see that time and time again. Jesus having authority over unclean spirits. He casts the spirit out and praise the Lord, the guy or the woman or whoever it's getting prayed for is healed. And, and I think the most obvious examples of a power healing or when people touched him. Now, remember the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, it said she had this issue of blood 12 years. She spent all her money on physicians, was none the better, yet grew worse. But she said, if I may touch his garment, I will be made whole. So what did she do? She, she goes and unbeknownst to Jesus, touches his garment. In that moment, power comes out of Jesus and she is completely and totally healed. Jesus didn't know who she was, didn't know who touched him, 
had to ask, had to seek out who touched him. Why? How did he even know? Because remember, he's in a crowd. He's in a press. The people are thronging him. He's getting touched on all sides. But no, a woman, a woman reached out in faith and touched him with the touch of faith and power went out of his body and he recognized it and she was healed. And I want to point that out because there was no real authority in operation there. Jesus wasn't using or exercising his authority in that moment, but he was and is a a source of the healing power of God that we can tap into and be healed. And that's exactly what we see both in the verse I read you a moment ago, the people trying to touch him because there's power and also the woman with the issue of blood who touched his garment received power that way. You know, and just to think about authority, I'll share with you another short version on the authority discussion. Short example, I should say. Remember the centurion that has a servant and the centurion comes to Jesus and says, look, you don't need to come into my house. I'm not worthy that you would come into my house, but speak the word only and my servant will be healed. For I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I do that. I say to one, do this and he does it. Another do this and he does it. You remember that story. The point I'm making is in that example, the centurion specifically approached Jesus for his authority. The centurion somehow had a revelation of Jesus's authority over sickness and disease. He approached Jesus for that authority. Jesus met his faith, spoke the word, and the servant was healed. Authority and power. All right. Now, one reason that maybe this doesn't get enough treatment is because at least in the King James translation, the word exousia, which is legal jurisdiction or authority, is frequently translated power in the sense of legal power. But what that what that does is now we have instead of the words power and authority, we frequently have the words power, 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 when really what the Bible is presenting is dunamis or power, miracle power, and exousia, authority. So the King James Version has blended the two when in fact they really should have been translated differently. But so now let's look. So we have authority and power operational in the ministry of Jesus for healing. Now let's look at Luke 9 verses 1 through 2. You're going to love this. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. No surprise. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. All right. Praise the Lord. Power and authority is what he has now delegated to the disciples for they are to go out to preach, to cast out unclean spirits and to cure diseases. So we have authority and power both in the ministry of Jesus, but now we see him delegating both authority and power to the disciples for them to go out and heal and operate in that ministry. Luke 10, 17 through 19. Now remember, Jesus first brought in the 12 and then he brought in another, either 70 or 72, depending on translation. And that's how we get to the amazing reality that during the earthly ministry of Jesus, a minimum of 82 other people functioned in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. While he was alive and walking the earth, 82 other people at a minimum 
functioned in that healing ministry with him through that delegation of power and authority. But let's read this out of Luke ten seventeen through 19. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That is a fascinating, fascinating statement. But but the key here, or you know, one of the big keys for our discussion today is Jesus talking about the authority that he's given us. You see, the kingdom of darkness, the devil, unclean spirits, and the kingdom of darkness do have power in the sense of ability. And they also, it's true, within their sphere, within the realm of the dominion of darkness, have legal jurisdiction and authority. Very complicated. We can't get into it today, but just take my word for it. Within the sphere of the kingdom of darkness, the the demons and the devil have both power and authority. However, God and Jesus and the kingdom of God have greater authority, greater power, and that's what's delegated to us. It is not automatic that the power and authority of God are going to be manifested in your life or in the earth. No, we have to use the power and authority that have been delegated to us. And that probably might be one of the overarching positions of my whole discourse on healing all these hours is we got to do what the Bible says to do and then we'll see the healing power of God. But now let's keep going because we're talking about authority in the moment. We're going to come back to power, but let's keep going with authority. Jesus just told the disciples, I've given you authority, not just the disciples, but the whole 82. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. So no surprise that we see diseases being cured, sick people being healed, because we have authority over the unclean spirits and the power of the enemy. Now, this is Matthew sixteen fifteen through 19. Jesus is talking to the 12. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, that word means little rock, and on this rock, that's a word means big rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What what could we possibly say about that verse that could even help us truly wrap our minds around what Jesus is saying there, right? Uh, I mean, look, we could all have some basic understanding, but I want us to just try to glimpse what Jesus is saying. That we, the body of Christ, okay, look, you see, when he says, I will build my church, the word is ecclesia. It it is not a building. The word church, as Jesus used it, remember there is Alexander the Great and the Greeks went throughout basically that whole part of the world. And there was the Greek form of government, which, you know, was the Greek city state and the word ecclesia. 
specifically, a Greek word, ekklesia, specifically referred to the group of citizens in a Greek city-state that was called out to rule. Not all Greeks voted. There's different rules on that, obviously different history on that. But there were, within each city-state, there was a group that governed and ruled. That was the ekklesia. That is the word he used there. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the first use of the word uh, church or ecclesia in the Bible. And the disciples, we, we just read, I build my church. Oh, yeah, there's one on every corner. No surprise. The disciples probably thought, what? You're building an ecclesia? You're, you're telling us that you're, you're uh, bringing together a group of people to rule? But see, but see, that's an amazing statement in and of itself, but it, maybe it actually didn't surprise them so much because they thought Jesus was setting up an earthly kingdom. Anyway, I digress. The point is that Jesus is calling together a group of people that includes you and me to rule, to rule the earth on behalf of the kingdom of God and with in possession of the keys of the kingdom of heaven and look at the level of authority that we now have in the earth. It's an authority that extends straight from the kingdom of God into our mouths. The, it's whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's the level of authority, exousia, that we've been given. That's the level of authority that we need to be thinking in as we participate in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, this next verse is after Jesus has died, rose again, gone to heaven, come back. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Excuse me, this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so what is he saying there? That if there was any question about his authority before, there's no question now. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. His authority far surpasses any other authority that may exist, whether it's the authority in the realms of the earth, the authority of the kingdom of darkness, doesn't matter. He has supreme authority and that's the authority that we are given to operate in. Okay. Matthew, excuse me, Mark 16 verses 14 through 19. Okay. So we've talked about authority. Now let's keep going. This, that statement I read a second ago from Matthew, that's after the death and resurrection. And so is this next one. Mark 16 verses 14 through 19. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. 
In my name they will drive out drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Remember what he said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. They will he goes on, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. So so notice here that now we have an instruction to the disciples that Jesus is leaving. He's He died. He rose again. He's here, but he's going home. He's going to be with the Father forever. And this is the way you're supposed to function. Nothing will by any means hurt you. There's some other things, obviously. You will speak in new tongues. You will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. All right. He's that is for everyone, 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 every one of us should lay hands on the sick and see them good. Well, every one of us should speak in new tongues. Every one of us should be totally and completely impervious to anything in this natural realm that would try to hurt us, whether it's a snake, a poison or whatever. That's the way it's supposed to be for all of us. But I'm going to read you another verse. And I want to note that. So that verse that we just read, Mark 16 It starts with Jesus appearing to the 11, because obviously Judas ain't there anymore. He appears to the 11, he talks to them, and then he's taken up to heaven. They're eating, he talks, and he goes back to heaven. Now, look at what I believe very clearly is the same interaction in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, where different words are recounting. Very interesting to note. Mark, the first one was from Mark. This next one is from Acts, which was written by Luke. Neither of those people were in the room, but they were both very close to people that were. So so it's no real surprise that we would have maybe a different section of the conversation appear in these two different books. Acts 1, 4 through 9. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here we have the final discussion between Jesus and the disciples before he goes back to heaven for you know thousands of years until he comes back, whenever that will be. This is the final discussion, and he's referring all the way back to before his ministry even started, exactly what John the Baptist told told us that we looked at at the beginning of our discussion today. He says, wait in Jerusalem. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, they thought it was earthly. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. All right. Okay. I told you. We get, we're get we going to operate in authority and power. And what did Jesus say? In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. How many of you? A select group? Only you 11, only you 11 plus a few special others. No, everyone, all of you. Okay, this is for everybody. In a few days, you will receive power when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit brings the power. That's the key. 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So again, they're eating. He speaks. He goes. It's got to be the same interaction. And we learn different parts of that discussion, that final message from Jesus to his disciples. What do we learn? You stay here in Jerusalem. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is almost here. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will receive the power of God. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, now, go, now what about Mark? These signs will follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and see them recover. They will speak in new tongues. Nothing will by any means hurt them. Okay? They'll place, you know, snakes, poison, doesn't matter. You see, this is Jesus describing what's going to happen when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is one of the most important parts of the ministry of Jesus that John the Baptist talked before the ministry of Jesus and Jesus even started. Okay, isn't this fascinating? Isn't this amazing? This is wonderful. But look, okay, let's keep going. Now, so he goes, he goes back, and as you well know, I'm sure, in Acts chapter 2, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit in the upper room at, on the day of Pentecost, right? A rushing mighty wind. They're filled with power from on high. They speak in other tongues. That's Acts chapter 2. So now, the early church, when you see the early church operating, you should basically just, just think of it this way. They're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're all endued with power from on high, exactly like Jesus promised. But now let's look at Acts 8. Verses 12 through 17, all right? Because remember, the the issue is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all right? That's what we're going to talk about for a second here. So we've talked about authority, we've talked about power, and now let's look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you get the power. And, what, and wh when is the power? You know, for our discussion on healing, power is is a huge part of it. Because remember, Jesus gave the disciples authority and power to heal disease, to, un to cast out demons, so on, right? Authority and power. Power comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, remember Samaritans were not Jews, when they heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. All right. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So these people had believed they were believers and they had been baptized. OK, but now they believed and were baptized, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John came and prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And I continue to quote, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So why am I bringing this up? I bring it up for a couple of reasons. First of all, this alone shows us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not 
automatically occurring at the same moment as salvation. They do not happen at the same time every time. So people teach that they're wrong. That's biblically incorrect. However, uh, it is just because it doesn't happen at the same time doesn't mean it's not extremely important. So it says when Peter and John came, what they do when they arrived, they hung out for a couple of weeks. No, it doesn't say that. When they arrived, they established small groups or they established various home groups or a feeding program or God knows what else. No, that's not what it says. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that was the most important thing that needed to happen in their lives for them as Christians, because they've already believed, they've been baptized, boom, now they need the Holy Spirit. That's the way the apostles thought. Let's look at Acts 10, verses 44 through 47. When Peter, okay, now, now just so context, Peter is now speaking to a different group, all right? So it doesn't really matter who, we don't need to get into that, but Peter is now talking to another group, okay? And he's preaching the gospel. He's talking about Jesus, Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish Christians, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So what what happened in this moment? In Samaria, the people believed the word of God and they were baptized. Then the, Peter came, prayed, and they received the Holy Spirit. In this particular instance, the people believe and simultaneously receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. And only then after that did they get baptized with water. God is not concerned with the order of operation here. The only thing that has to happen, you know, first is a person believes the gospel. That, that's the only requirement for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be ready. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be super holy. None of that. No, this is a day one message, not a, not a day thousand message, not a mature Christian message. This is a day one. The Holy Spirit shows us right here that the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, should happen right off the bat when a person becomes a Christian. That's what Peter and John did. As soon as they came to Samaria, boom, received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit right here in Acts 10 with these Gentiles, the moment they believe they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they're baptized with water. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 19. Now look, we're continuing to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there is no power without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And look, you can debate it, you can think otherwise, you can refuse to believe it, but you are biblically wrong. You can do the search yourself. I've done it. Pull, pull up the Greek dunamis and look at every single time it appears in the Bible. Okay, the, pow the power of God, the dunamis miracle working power of God does not come into a Christian's life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You, 
Furthermore, you could even go so far as to say there is no God-ordained ministry without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know that would irritate some people. But but look, that's what Jesus says. You sit here and do nothing until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then you out, go out and be my witness. Why? Because we were never supposed to be witnesses without the power. Anyway, but before we move on, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Now, this is years, maybe maybe 15 years, 20 years. I'm not sure, but every bit of 15 after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is now the ministry of Paul. Paul's not one of the 12. He wasn't one of the 82. He was another person that God called into the ministry of Jesus Christ. You want to find where Acts, where Paul gets the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's in Acts chapter 9. Fascinating. Don't have time to get into that today. While Apollos was at Corinth, this is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? All right, so what's what's the first thing Paul does when he encounters disciples? Years later, years after the events at Pentecost, years after the Samaritans and the Gentiles believed, years later, Paul encounters some uh, disciples in Ephesus, and what's the, what does he say? What's the first thing the Bible tells us he asked? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why would he ask him that? Because maybe they did, like in Acts chapter 10, and maybe they didn't, like in Acts chapter 8. It's a totally reasonable question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptized, excuse me, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Wow. Wow. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not just for the 12, not just for the 82, not just for Paul and, you know, maybe the other group of, of specials in the Bible. No, it's for all believers. There is one coming after me whose shoelace I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The ministry of Jesus Christ to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire continues to this day. 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're supposed to have the power. You're supposed to have the power. Why? Because you are not a fully equipped minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not fully equipped to participate in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ without the power. Look at Acts chapter 5. This is 15 through 16. Again, after Peter received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 15 through 16. As a result of the apostles' work, six sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. All healed. Sick, possessed, didn't matter. All healed. Why? Why? Because they... The, the church was functioning in the authority and the power. 
Acts 28, 7 through 9. 20 years at least after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul's on the island of Malta. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Paul's not one of the 12. Paul's not one of the 82. Paul received in Acts chapter 9 both uh, salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now he's operating in the healing ministry of Jesus. The authority and the power, the, the, the Bible is crystal clear. That the power of God, the miracle working power of God that functions in the healing ministry comes when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why has the devil tried to fight against speaking in tongues, fight against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, make it look so weird to the mainstream church? Why? Because that's where the power is. That's where the power is. That's why. That's why so many churches are functioning without the miracles, without the power, without the tongues and the prophecy and everything that comes along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the devil has fought against it and tricked us into thinking that it's either weird or it's passed away or it died with the last apostle or whatever other deceit he's put on these churches. That's the power. What about the authority? Where do we get the authority? Look at look at Mark 13, verse 34. I think you'll never read this verse the same way again. I know that I don't. This is Jesus speaking. It's a parable. He's talking about himself. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. What's the word there for authority? Exousia, of course it is. Jesus is taking a far journey. He's not here anymore. He's in heaven. Yes, he's in us, but he's not here. He's not walking the earth. His earthly ministry is over exactly like he told us it would be. He's taken a far journey. He's sitting now at the right hand of God. But what did he leave to us? Authority, exousia. Remember, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We are the ecclesia. We have the authority and the power. That exousia, that's straight from the throne room of God over all the power of the enemy. He's a man taking a far journey. He left his house and he gave authority to his servants. We are the servants. We have the authority, but are we using it? My Christian brothers and sisters, the same authority and power that Jesus operated in is available to you. When you are united with Christ by the Spirit of God in salvation, you Step into that authority. That authority is yours the moment you become a Christian. That's a very fascinating truth. The power comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The authority comes with your salvation. That's why, that's why this is fascinating. That's why we can see people that are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think they're, I think they're Catholic priests that are examples of this. They're functioning in exorcisms. There's other denominations. They believe in exorcism. There, there are healings that take place from time to time out, uh, in other denominations. 
Outside of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sometimes there are different miracles. No baptism of the Holy Spirit present. This is the answer. It's because the authority comes with salvation. But the power comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All Christians can function in that authority if they will have faith in it. They will step in it and start exercising that authority exactly like God, or excuse me, Jesus Christ told us to do so. But no baptism of the Holy Spirit, no power. I want to take my place in the ministry of Jesus Christ. I want to take my place in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. I need the authority and I need the power. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so do you. When I or you, whoever you are, when you're functioning in both the authority and power, you have the same miracle working power of God operational in your life that Jesus did. When, when you lay hands on the sick to see them recover, according to Mark 16, verse 18, when you lay hands on the sick, the same power of God that went out of Jesus when He laid hands, that sa- the, the same dunamis, miracle-working power that went out of Paul, that went out of Peter, that went out of Jesus, in the same measure, it comes right out of you and touches another person. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're, you, you have that power. It comes out in the same measure. You can operate in the healing ministry of God the same way they all did. When you pray the prayer of faith, according to James 5.15, remember the prayer of faith saves the sick. Excuse me, heals is the better translation. King James says saves, I believe. The, the prayer of faith heals the sick. When you, when you pray the prayer of faith, using your authority, using your exousia, over all the power of the enemy, over all the unclean spirits, to bind, to loose, to cast out. That same authority as it operated in the ministry of Jesus, Peter, Paul, all the disciples, all the early church, any other healing evangelist that's ever walked the face of the earth, that authority operates in you in exactly the same measure as it did in them. It's because it's the same authority. It's His authority that's straight from the kingdom of God. All authority is given to me. Go out and use it. I delegate it to you. I'm a man taking a far journey, but I gave my authority to my servant to do what I want done in the earth. Hallelujah. You, my Christian brother or sister, you have the authority straight from the kingdom of heaven and it's time that we start using it to right the wrongs. To see the power of God move in every area of this world. But but for this teaching, for this area of study today, for the sick people that you encounter, that might be you, that might be in your house, that might be somewhere in the world, as you go through life, you've got the authority over that sickness and disease. You've got the authority over that unclean spirit. And if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you have the power. We should be walking like this. We should see ourselves like this. We should think like this. If you hear my voice and your mind recoils when I say the words baptism of the Holy Spirit, when there's a check in your heart, when there's something in your mind says, oh, that's too far. or Oh, you know, I like the rest of this, but not that. Or, oh, that's speaking in tongues. That's weird. If you feel any of that, you've been deceived. You have heard a lie from the pit of hell, an unbiblical lie from the pit of hell. It's taken root in your mind and you've been deceived. And in the name of Jesus, 
I tear that out of your heart and your mind right now. I pray that God right now would touch your heart and your mind and open you to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes with the prayer language. It comes with speaking in tongues. It's a terrible shame that the devil has wrought the damage in the church that he has by deceiving the church that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is either passed away or it's weird or it's whatever, but fundamentally that it's not for you. That's what he's taught the church, but that is wrong. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And I don't care who you are or where you've been or what denomination you're in. If you are a Christian, it is for you right now. You may have become a Christian five minutes ago, right now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you right now. The power of God is for you right now. We should be operating in and expanding the healing ministry of Jesus across the earth. In the same measure, to the same degree, with the same power, with the same results. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall I do because I go unto my Father. Because he goes to his Father, he releases the power of the Holy Spirit, and now there's not one Jesus, there's billions. No, I know, I get it. Don't bring me that. Yes, I know we're not Jesus. We are not the Savior. We are his brother. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. But we can function in the same miracle working power and in the authority that he did. And now there are what? Billions of us? What if we all took our place in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ? What if we started operating in the authority and power that's truly been given to us according to the crystal clear word of God? I'm sorry you were deceived. I'm sorry so many people filled your mind with unbelief. It's terrible. It's a tragedy. It's demonic. But put those aside today. Listen to this again. Listen to these scriptures again. Study them out for yourself. I've studied it. I want the biblical underpinning. When I tell you these things, I want to be able to show you in the word. I'm a lawyer. I need to know from verse to verse. How is it mine? How is the authority mine? How is the power mine? So I'm ready when I see a sick person. So I'm ready when I encounter someone that needs a prayer. And there's nothing special about me. I love that. Everything I say about me is is true for you, is possible for you, is available to you. God loves you. God loves all of us as much as he loved Jesus. That's John 17. So wonderful, so true, so available. Guys, we've gone long enough today. I love you. God bless you. Please If we can pray for you or a loved one, don't hesitate to ask. If you're ready to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't hesitate to ask. Happy to meet up. Happy to pray. Find somebody. The Lord will bring people to you. In the name of Jesus, I bless you and I thank you for your time today. Goodbye.